Hi, right. bro. My name is Dr. Sarah Yu. I'm so host to Dr. Sarah Yu show today's America and the world, as well as Dr. Sarah Yu for Congress and U.S. Senate show. Today I have a great, uh, you know, the man that uh, professional of uh, working as well as author, many, many, you know, background, professional background as well as uh, very impressed to uh, military, ten, more than 10 years military service. Uh, here or here, the, his name is uh, Jesse uh, Stowards. So welcome Jesse Stowart, how are you? I'm doing well, Dr. Liu, thank you for having me and hope you're doing well. Great, my pleasure. So my audience, they wanna know about you, who you are. Can you tell me who you are? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, my name is Jesse Stewart. And as we spoke earlier, I'm retired Army Ranger. Uh, I served in the United States Army from 2002 to 2012. I uh, had planned to serve a lot longer, but unfortunately, after being wounded four times uh, during my service to the Middle East, uh, and after four uh, pretty serious surgeries, I was uh, forced or highly recommended to medically retire uh, in 2012. So I medically retired as a major. Uh, out of the United States Army, was fortunate enough to get a couple graduate degrees in addition to serving as an Army Ranger and began my civilian journey in, in 2012. So, you know, every person, uh, they have a hope, dream, as always passionate, uh, something they wanted to do. So, say for your, uh, what, tell us, uh, you know, what is your passionate, what part, and tell me, tell me about that, please. Yeah, so I would say that my passion early in life, it, it was to become an Army Ranger. And while I was had the opportunity to do that and made it there, uh, it was my passion to do that for a long time. Uh, but unfortunately, the, the time that I served in the unit that I served in, we experienced uh, quite a bit of war uh, when we went over there. I was, like I said earlier, was, was wounded four times myself. Uh, I lost 14 of my Rangers uh, in combat uh, during a 2007 deployment to the Diallo River Valley, which is where uh, ISIS uh, started. That was the genesis of, of that organization. And during the early parts of fighting them in 2007, we lost 14 of those Rangers. Uh, to include uh, my medic, Ben Saban, that jumped right in front of a suicide bomber to save my life. And so uh, when I was medically retired, I did struggle to find that passion again and took about five years uh, to find it. But, uh, and it unfortunately came at uh, the reality of the same amount of uh, guys from the unit uh, or that I served with committing suicide as well uh, that ignited a new passion, which is uh, been realized through my work with AM300 Solutions. And that is of ensuring that their legacy, the 14 Rangers that died under my command, that their legacy uh, the light and the flame of that remains lit. And so through my work of what I do now, the mission statement of AM300 is to develop, collaborate, and deliver hard-fought wisdom to win at life across the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual planes of existence that I'm carrying on their legacy through that work and hopefully telling their stories uh, through my work so that way uh, they're never forgotten. Thank you so much, Sarah. There, as I know, the older story you talk, I know that you wrote books, two books, right? So, uh, as I know, you you are currently working on on winnable uh, words, as well as your previous uh, wrote the books 
the uh, Phoenix project uh, hands forgot wisdom to win and available for. So, uh, you know, everything you wrote that, uh, you know, about your story in the veterans. So I am so considering uh, like military office on veterans issue. So through your books, uh, you know, we can understand those issues. So you are the author of those two books. So can you explanation detail about, you know, the, your books, then we can understand what military, uh, you know, life is, uh, have a risk or opportunity as well as, you know, many other, uh, you know, informations we can know through your books. Can you tell about your books, uh, two books? Yeah. So the, the first book was Unwinnable Wars and the next book that's coming out is, is The Phoenix Project. And Un Unwinnable Wars, uh, was, which is the one that's on the bookcase behind me, uh, was the result of a, a master's thesis that I finished uh, after I already, or I finished it, it was about halfway through the master's thesis program when I found out that I was being medically retired. So I did not have to finish it. And I was given the option to stop doing what I was doing. But up until that point, I never quit anything in my life and I wasn't going to quit on, you know, that, that thesis program or that master's program. And so I finished it. And, uh, after I retired, I was able to get the rights back to it. And so when I got the rights back, I started, uh, finishing that up to put it in a little more digestible form. And that book, uh, was a case study about special operations or special forces in the Vietnam war. And the reason why I published it when I did, you know, which was at the time of COVID was, the Vietnam War is something that people just kind of wanted to forget about here in America. It was by far the biggest loss uh, to the United States in terms of wars throughout our history, uh, the history of winning wars. And so everybody kind of wanted to just forget about it. And unfortunately, uh, there was some really good lessons learned that were that came out of that war that would have helped me tremendously as a Ranger Company commander had I had those lessons and probably would have resulted in maybe none of my guys uh, dying. And so I wanted to ensure that those lessons were codified and they were put out in written form. And also to to kind of not warn Americans or the rest of the world, but just encourage people what the danger is in terms of forgetting the lessons learned, even in failure. And so the book, of course, is Unwinnable Wars, Finding Victory in the Ashes of Defeat. Well, in the ashes of defeat of the Vietnam War, arguably held the keys to victory in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so Iraq and Afghanistan were already kind of finishing up by that time. And so... I could see that with COVID, the whole world was in a war uh, against ourselves, really, in terms of feeling like everything was taken away from us, our freedoms, our luxuries, our everyday things that we had. And so I wanted to encourage people that, hey, I know this feels like failure. I know this feels like we're losing, but let's take a hard look at the things that we're learning and how we're getting better at systems. Like, for instance, how many podcasts were being held on Zoom you know, prior to COVID? Not many, because people thought you had to be in a big studio like Joe Rogan. Well, all of a sudden when Joe Rogan starts doing podcasts on Zoom and puts them out on this forum and he doesn't have the people right there with him, now everybody has saw that we can do that. Now most podcasts are held on this platform and now we can do them. So there were some good things that were coming out of COVID, but people were just wanting to forget that time happened and just get back to normal as soon as possible. And so that was why I published Unwinnable Wars and kind of to use it also to set up my, my passion, which is the Phoenix Project, the second book. And the Phoenix Project is a much more personal uh, book. Uh, I don't like to call it a memoir, but that's essentially the best way to probably classify it. And it documents, you know, my story of growing up uh, and the struggles that I went through 
that kind of forced me into the position to run to the Army Rangers. Uh, the Army Rangers was the place that I was going to go where I was going to learn to make up for all of those deficits that I felt that I had as a child. And so I did that with all of my energy and might. Uh, I went to college first, uh, went to graduate from the University of Washington and was there from 1998 to 2002. So the first three years of that, and I was in ROTC, so I was committed to going in the military anyway. But the first three years of that was peacetime. 9-11 had not happened yet. And I, but that was my plan and going and do it for at least four years. Well, at the start of my senior year of college, which would have been September of 2001, my aunt and uncle that lived in New York City invited me out to come do kind of one last vacation before I went in the military. Because I was the only family member that was going in the military. And so I went out there to New York. They treated me like a king for a week. They took me to all these Broadway plays. Uh, they were both actors in New York City. And on the last day that I was there, September 10th, 2001, they took me up to the top of the World Trade Center to have brunch. Because up at the top of the World Trade Center, they used to have this amazing restaurant up there. And, and so I went out there, had brunch on September 10th, 2001, immediately got on a plane afterwards, flew back to Seattle. And the next morning, I was down in the gym at five o'clock in the morning uh, working out while next thing you know, we're watching those same buildings that I had just had brunch in be attacked. And that same building that I was in less than 24 hours prior was taken down. And so that was the start of my senior year, was essentially the global war on terrorism starting. So my senior year, things obviously became a lot more serious. Uh, I was in a, uh, an engineering and international studies program, and the international studies part was on the Middle East. So I was already taking Arabic to begin with. And so I knew that this was going to be for real and serious. And so I graduated uh, as part of the first commissioning class of officers in 2002 and immediately went to the infantry officer base course, went to ranger school, and then shortly after that went on the invasion to Iraq in 2003. So it's kind of set up for it uh, from the beginning. And, you know, the book talks about that journey of, you know, why I went there and how it was almost an escape. And when I got there to the rangers, or got into the army and then made my way into task force 300, which is the unit that I eventually got to serve in and command in, I realized that I, I was serving with some of the most amazing young men uh, in America. And I say young men because we didn't have any females in the unit at the time. And so I got the opportunity to not only serve with these guys, but also lead them as, as a company commander. And it was a dream. It was something, uh, you know, I played high level baseball when I was growing up. That was kind of the intent was I was going to go to, uh, baseball, where I was going to play professional baseball, because that was the goal. Uh, and I saw your question just come in, so I'll address that in a second. Uh, but I can tell you that the unit that I got to serve in and the level that we operated at was better and more amazing than I think any professional sport that I could have played. And, you know, I believe that I was amongst some of the most amazing athletes uh, in the world. And so got a chance to serve in that unit. Uh, the time that I went to command was early 2007, which of course is when things started with ISIS. And my unit was one of the first units into the Diyala River Valley and just outside of Bakuba, Iraq, which is where ISIS had set up its headquarters. And for the next nine months after that, we fought an incredible battle that unfortunately took the lives of 14 of my Rangers uh, in my unit and a total of 22 within our task force of only 300 guys. And so I was wounded the third and fourth time during that deployment. And as soon as I got back, had to started a slew of, of surgeries that unfortunately ultimately ended up uh, in a medical retirement four years later in 2012. And so I retired from that community. I was devastated at the time. I 
you know, now I get the opportunity to work with some amazing world-class athletes, particularly within US ski and snowboard. And, you know, those men and women do some pretty dangerous things on a daily basis. And uh, their careers are only 24 hours long, essentially, because they have one big injury, they're done. And that was the world that I kind of operated in. And if you would have met me in 2012 and said, who are you? I would have said, you know, I'm an army ranger who happens to be named Jesse Stewart, happens to have two beautiful girls, happens to have a college education. And so my entire identity was wrapped around that concept of, of being a ranger, similar as these athletes that I work with, their identity is wrapped up in being a U.S. snowboarder or a U.S. skier, you know, or a professional football player. I'm a professional football player. And the danger for me in that was when that was suddenly taken away from me overnight after my last surgery, my entire identity was, was taken away. Even though I had value to bring to the world other than being an Army Ranger, I was that first. And the next five years after that, from 2012 to about 2017, was that struggle of understanding, no, I'm not an Army Ranger who's named Jesse Stewart. I'm Jesse Stewart, who happened to have the honor of serving in the capacity uh, for 10 years as an Army Ranger. And now I have the ability to serve in another capacity and continue to be of service. And so you asked me earlier, kind of like, you know, what was the issues and the solution? Well, the obvious issue that really impacts the veteran community and the military right now is, is suicide. I mean, it is on average 22 veterans a day, at least, they think those numbers might be higher, commit suicide in the United States. Well, veterans in the United States represent only 1% of the population. So 1% of the population is representing 25% of the suicides in the United States. That is crazy and ridiculous. And up until 2008, the number of suicides or the percentage had never been higher for veterans than it was for the civilian community. So this was a new phenomenon that all of a sudden happened. And, you know, the people that served in, in Vietnam and Korea and World War II, they experienced a way more intense war than we did on average. So why is it that my generation that had it relatively easy compared to previous generations, all of a sudden have these ridiculous suicide numbers. And so once the number of suicides from our unit matched the number that we had lost was when I, you know, kind of hung up the civilian career that I had started as a, you know, in business. And I transitioned my efforts and focus towards, you know, first trying to ensure that I did not become a victim of, you know, this plague that's been hitting uh, U.S. veterans. But more importantly, that my daughters, that they did not become victims of being children of a veteran that had committed suicide. And so initially it was just kind of, it was a fail safe to ensure that I was, I was protected. And, you know, through that process and also too, I wanted to show the guys that I had worked with in combat and had led in combat and that put them through things that obviously helped them get to the point that they were doing this unspeakable act. I wanted to, to, to lead by example. And in the Rangers, our motto is Rangers lead the way. And so, you know, I like to think that I led the way when I was a commander in the Rangers and, when I retired, I didn't necessarily stop, you know, thinking like a ranger and feeling that I had a responsibility to live up to that ethos and the creed. And so in 2017, in order to continue leading the way, I needed to do something different and I needed to figure this out first for myself and then for my family and then for the other amazing uh, men that I served with. And hopefully the men and women that, you know, hear my work, uh, that worked with me at some point, et cetera. And so my work, has been kind of focused towards that ever since. Great, great. Uh, I think, you know, I, the, your experience is uh, very common, you know, in military officers, but actually, you know, people, they are not wrote the uh, story that much, but 
you know, uh, I think that we can learn through your books uh, about military life as well as what kind of issues going on. But can you tell me uh, what is uh, a top, you know, priority issues and then you can suggestion or solution in the military life uh, because all your life is sub-God, sub-country, sub-community through the military life, right? So, but, you know, we, we have so many, as you said, uh, you know, suicide as well as after a retire, you know, there is not much enough the benefit of, so my, I visited my uncle's national cemetery. Uh, you know, the, my uncle was 26 years uh, uh, serving American military. Uh, I see there, uh, his, uh, you know, there the, his cemetery, uh, his place said that uh, she was uh, in, he was in the World Two veteran or in Korean War. So not only you, you know, most of our family members, I have many, many family veterans, they have the same experience maybe. So I'm so proud of you to you overcome all those uh, temptations, all those risks during those military. I think you have a great solutions because you, you are such a, uh, one of the model here or to or our, you know, the American hero who was uh, 10 years, it's, it's like long time. My uncle was 26 years, but uh, can you all uh, say, uh, we are so proud of you and any, you know, veteran or military person who has served America, they are real hero, you know, without them, uh, we are, country is not protected, you know. So can you tell me the, uh, just maybe top three or five, priority issue in military life and uh, your solution for that? Yeah, so uh, first of all, thank you for the acknowledgement of you know my service, your uncle's service, your family service and all that stuff. You have no idea uh, how much that means to, to our community that, that people just simply remember. And so you, you asked me, what are the top issues within, within veterans and the military? And I would say that, you know, the, the number one issue uh, and that this is the issue that I'm, I'm researching in my PhD right now at Baylor, my doctorate, is, um, you know, this is the first war that we have fought in the United States history, uh, major war, where there was not a draft implemented. So every other war in history, uh, you know, going back to the Revolutionary War century, there was always this draft. And that meant that every man in the country was eligible to be picked out of his life and sent over to go fight for the United States. Um, yeah, it's happened in uh, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, and there hasn't been a draft since Vietnam. And we've had a couple of skirmishes. We had Panama in 1989. We had Desert Storm in 1990-91 timeframe. But those wars were both very short. In fact, Desert Storm officially was only 100 hours long. And so had the wars gone on, a draft probably would have been implemented. But 9-11 was the first time in our history that we fought a war with an entire all-volunteer force, which meant that only 1% of the population of the United States was subject to going to war. And I say men because currently the selective service draft is only applies to men, but back during World War II, women stepped up in a huge way to, to run the country essentially while their husbands you know, went over to Europe and Japan uh, to fight. And so the draft affected everybody and it gave everybody this idea, I think, that everybody had skin in the game and a responsibility to fight for the country that we get to live in. Well, 9-11 was the first time that that did not happen. 
And, and, and so all of a sudden in history, we have not only the longest war that we've ever fought in our nation's history going 19 years before it officially ended, but the first war fought without a draft. So 1% of the population, that is it, that is going over there. And that's not the fault of the 99% that did not serve. That's just the policy that our country uh, decided to, to implement. And, but what it results in is when a veteran, so take for instance me, I go to the University of Washington, I graduate in, with a degree in engineering, and I go in the military. And the rest of my peers in the engineering school go off to Amazon, Microsoft, Boeing, all these other country, companies. And for 10 years, they've worked their butts off uh, at their companies, have worked their way up the ladder, et cetera. And then there's me that goes over and does something completely different than engineering, obviously as an army ranger. But 10 years later, I come out of the military. I've got this credentials of being an officer and a couple graduate degrees and all this leadership experience. And I come into this company and you know, companies and the country tries to do a good job of when we come back from the military that we're, we're kind of recognized for that service. And we're given positions that would not be entry-level positions. So mid-level manager positions. Well, all of a sudden I go in having no experience in a company but yet I've got this higher position. Now, all these other people, they've been working there for 10 years. And it'd be like the equivalent of somebody enlisting in the military or joining the military and coming in at my same rank that I did for 10 years. Well, that wouldn't you know, be okay or fly, but that's what, what ends up happening. And whether it's the civilians that look at it, they're like, hey, you didn't earn your way there, which I don't think that's necessarily the case, or the veteran worried that, well, I didn't earn my spot here. And so I don't belong, regardless of what it is, is there is a gap now between the veterans and the civilians. And this gap has, has created this distance of difference where before, even if you didn't serve in Vietnam, there was still a chance you were gonna serve and everybody knew that they had a chance. And so this gap wasn't necessarily there during Vietnam and previous wars as there is here in the United States. And uh, I believe that that right there is the number one issue is this gap that has been created. And, uh, and so this gap causes veterans to think that, and it's not the reality, but the perception that comes out of that is that people don't care. And it's not that people don't care. It's just that gap has gotten so big that people have no frame of reference. They don't know. There's well-intentioned civilians like yourself that I'm sure want, if you knew that I was struggling or suffering, you would want to do anything you could to help me out or get me the resources to help me out. But my problem is I've got so much pride over here from having served in the military that I'm not going to ask for help. So you got the guy on one side, the veteran, that's not going to ask for help. And you have the civilian that has no idea what to look for. And the result is this gap continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And with anybody in life, especially veterans, though, I think all that people ultimately want is to be recognized for the hard work that they do. But when a veteran feels like they haven't been recognized, it feels like they've been forgotten or no one cares, which is not necessarily true but that's the perception and the results of when you go do something very hard or traumatic and you realize that no one gives a crap about what you did, the result is oftentimes people get to this level of depression and despair that unfortunately results in suicide. And I think that right there is probably the reason why the veteran population has such an exponentially higher percentage of suicide rates than the civilian population. So that is what I believe is the biggest issue or problem is this gap that's here. So if we have this gap, we've identified the problem, yay, but what do you do about it, right? Because you said, what's the issues and what's the solution? Well, 
it's amazing because if you have this gap, everybody kind of looks like, well, nothing else has worked. We've thrown billions of dollars at this problem of veteran suicide, which the government has. And there's a lot of great, well-intentioned civilians that start nonprofits and donate tons of money to help with this. But if you're throwing that money in not the direction that it needs to go, it's going to be wasted. And I think the bigger issue is the inability to identify that this is the quote unquote problem that's here. Great, great. Thank you so much. So this is the last question, how we can reach you and buy your books, you know, the books talking more like uh, deeply about military issue and solutions. So please, yeah. Yeah, so like I put in the chat earlier, uh, oh, yeah, so find... you have uh, the website www.am300.com, right? Yeah. Yes. 